Welcome to the 57th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, a deep dive into the NBA Conference Finals, and a preview of the NBA Finals, and we'll discuss who we think should be in the MLB All-Star Game. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. There were no predictions in the NBA as we're not predicting playoff games, so Patrick uh, had no results in the NBA this week. So let's turn to Major League Baseball, where the Phillies took two of three from the Padres. Patrick incorrectly picked the Padres to win that series. The Mets took two of three from the Yankees in the Subway Series, Patrick correctly picking the Mets in that one. The Red Sox took two of three from the A's, and Patrick correctly picked the Red Sox to win that series. And the Blue Jays took two of three from the Rays, with Patrick incorrectly picking the Rays, meaning Patrick went two and two in his Major League Baseball predictions, and two and two overall also, bringing him to 143 and 105. That's a 57.7% winning percentage this season, Patrick. Your thoughts and your predictions this weekend? Uh, yes, the the NBA predictions will be returning later in the playoffs. It was just that it was a schedule thing this weekend. Um, but in the MLB, uh, I will. Uh, I mean, look, the Padres should have won this series. I mean, the Phillies blew a save for I think the eighth time in nine games in Game One of the series, and then the Padres ended up losing an extra innings because they could not score a run in the top of the tenth, uh, and then the Phillies walked it off. Which is that? That one is a game they should have won. They also were up to nothing with you, Darvish, on the mound. All star, you, Darvish, apparently, um, on the mound. Uh, but they, in the first inning, they took a two nothing lead on a Manny Machado home run, and they didn't win that game. Uh, so they probably should have won both of those games, frankly, and easily could have. Uh, pretty much could have been a sweep. Instead, you end up losing the series. Uh, but as a Dodgers fan, I'm not complaining because I'll take any games that they throw away for no reason. Um, then in the Subway Series, uh, you had the Mets really rally because they were down 5-4 to four going into the 7th of a double header. So obviously the 7th being the equivalent of the ninth. Um, and then Aroldis Chapman came in and everything blew up for the Yankees in Game 1 of that double header after the Mets had taken Game 1 of the series overall. Uh, and the Mets ended up exploding for, I think, 5 runs, in the or 6 runs, I think, in the top of the 7th inning, uh, pushing that score to 10-5 to five from down 5-4. to four eventually winning by that score. And then they would lose game two of that doubleheader, but in the end, doesn't matter. They still won the series. Uh, the Red Sox and the A's played three one-run games. So overall, really, really close. But in the end, it doesn't matter because the Red Sox were the ones who got the win, uh, who got two of the three wins, uh, including a one nothing victory. The series really had everything. It had a 3-2 game, an 8-7 game, and a one nothing game. So it had a little bit. It had... A pretty normal scoring game, then a very high scoring game, then a very low scoring game uh, with a lot of drama included there. Um, then in the Blue Jays' Rays, the Blue Jays came out and absolutely destroyed the Rays, uh, forcing them to bring in a position player to pitch, which uh, brought some funny highlights of Vlad Guerrero swinging, swinging pretty much out of his shoes on a 50-mile-per-hour uh, pitch that was out of the zone. But in the end, the Blue Jays easily win that game and go on to win two of, three, two of the three games in the series. Uh, the Rays actually have not been doing too well in any series that I predicted them in. But you know what? I'm just glad that this weekend I had four series, well, it may be excluding the Phillies-Padres, that were all with good teams that were at similar record levels to each other because I've had some pretty bad ones that I've had to predict recently. Uh, either picking losing record teams that are just close to each other and more evenly matched or picking between that or picking between 
I don't know, like the Dodgers against the Diamondbacks is the only other series that I could have picked that week. So look, th- I like that this week had some better options to pick from, made it much more interesting. Uh, and in the end, it's actually ironic because I do better in the series in the in the in the week where there's not good when there's uh, better series and harder ones to predict. Definitely more compelling matchups uh, predicted this weekend than normal. That uh, wraps up our look back at Patrick's predictions for last weekend. Uh, his predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website as always on Thursday. Now let's turn our attention to the NBA playoffs, starting with the Eastern Conference Finals. Then we'll move on to the Western Conference Finals, and then take a look. At the NBA Finals, Patrick? Yep, we will start with those Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, both these series now over, of course, uh, although this Hawks-Bucks series could have carried on a little bit longer. Uh, but in the end, Milwaukee wins this series in six games. Uh, the Hawks won game four, 110-88, Trey, without Trey Young playing, actually. Uh, but then Giannis exited the game with an injury, the Hawks immediately capitalized after he was injured. It was 62-52. to 52. Drew Holiday hit one turnaround, and you thought, okay, maybe the Bucks are going to still keep this close. Even with Giannis out, maybe he comes back, because uh, he didn't actually go all, go all the way into the locker room for a long time. He kind of came out for a little bit. Uh, then the Hawks outscored the Bucks 25-8 to eight for the rest of the quarter after that and took a an 87-62 to lead into the fourth, uh, and that was obviously going to be enough for them to tie up the series. They... Got outscored in the fourth quarter, but obviously that was with a bunch of backups playing for the most part. Uh, and I can tell you that the Hawks were probably very happy that they were able to tie the series up without Trey Young playing. Uh, down 2-1 in Game 4, they had their home game, so probably a good situation for them. Probably the best they could ask for to play in their first game without Trey. Uh, but still, obviously, without your superstar, um, <laughs> it's not a good situation. So the Hawks were still able to capitalize on that. Uh, Really, from a lot of balanced scoring, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich had 20 points. Lou Williams led with 21. Uh, Kevin Herter and John Collins both had 15. And Reddish had 12 points off the bench. A very important contribution, especially because he hasn't actually played in a while because he's been injured for a very, very long time. But in the end, the Hawks used that balanced scoring uh, to win Game 4 and take it into a series tie going to Milwaukee for Game 5. Uh, in Game 5, the Bucks won 123-112. This game with no Trey and no Giannis, so pretty much you could actually say pretty even in terms of both teams because both teams didn't have their superstars. So in the end, I guess <laughs> you call it even. Um, but Brooke Lopez scores 33 points. Drew Holiday scores 25. Chris Middleton scores 26. Bobby Portis scores 22. So four guys with 20 or more points, actually 22 or more points for the Bucks in that game. Again, really, really balanced scoring, this time a lot more from those guys than, than what Atlanta had, but a much higher scoring game in general. Uh, Atlanta's leading scorer that game was Bogdan Bogdanovich with 28 points, but every starter had a minus 11, plus, minus, or worse, which just goes to show you that Nobody really played well in this game for the Hawks. I mean, there were a few guys off the bench who had barely positive plus minuses. But other than that, it, look, there weren't many contribu- many good contributions. And by the way, um, Bogdan led, led the way in the scoring, but also had the worst of that group in terms of plus minus and minus 17. So overall, e- even, even the good of Atlanta wasn't that good. Um, probably most of that coming from defense, uh, pretty much really bad defense the entire time. 
I believe Brook Lopez scored 28 of his 33 in the paint uh, and actually got second most all time by a Bucks player for points in the paint in the playoffs. Uh, all the rest of the top 10 are Giannis in different in different years and different games, but a really good performance from Brook Lopez just when the Bucks needed it the most. Uh, and then obviously Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton pitching in how they pretty much need to. I, I'd say if they don't combine for 50 without having Giannis in the game, th- they don't win any games without him. Uh, so that was really important. And then you also got Portis scoring a lot. And just overall, it wasn't really a dominant uh, win for the Bucks, but overall they won pretty comfortably. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they were really happy going into Atlanta saying, okay, maybe we get Giannis back for game seven. And you know what? Maybe we just take it right there in Atlanta in game six. And that they did winning game six, 118 to 107. No Giannis, but Trey Young actually coming back for Atlanta. Uh, Chris Middleton came alive in the second half and finished the game with 32 points. Holiday ended up with 27. Uh, he also ended up with nine assists and nine rebounds, so really close to a triple-double even. Then you have uh, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, Pat Connaughton, and Bryn Forbes all scoring in double figures too. So overall, you have Holiday and Middleton combining for almost 60, and then four guys in double figures. And look, that's literally 100 points. So that's enough right there to get you everything you need uh, to get a win if you're Milwaukee. Uh, Trey scored 14 points on 4 of 17 shooting and 0 of 6 from 3, which I would say is really similar to his performance from Game 7 in the Philadelphia series. But unlike the semis, this time Cam Reddish almost came to save Atlanta rather than Kevin Herter. Uh, Reddish ends up with 21 points on 6 of 7 from 3-point land, uh, Bogdan adds 20 points, uh, but no one else scores more than 14, and Reddish ends up as the only a- Atlanta player with a positive plus-minus, uh, and the only ones who had a neutral plus-minus were people who didn't play the entire game. Uh, so, look, nobody for Atlanta really played well except for Cam Reddish, and I never thought I'd be saying that, com- thinking that pretty much he was supposed to be out for the season. Everybody thought, oh, his timetable might bring him back for the NBA Finals if the Hawks make it. So everybody said, okay, well, that's not happening because they're not making the Finals. And then all of a sudden, his timetable gets moved up a little bit, and here he is playing in the Conference Finals. But look, even even that, even those 21 points, still not enough. But what are your thoughts on this series? Uh, Trey Young tried to make a go of it in Game 6. I think we mentioned a lot of people. I, mean, I think we mentioned that even if he came back, um, he was going to be hobbled, and that would really Im- impede his game. He needs his quickness. He wasn't himself um, in Game Six, so he was out there on the floor in name only. I don't think it was the real Trey Young, even though as you as you mentioned, he did uh, have a subpar effort in some very important uh, games earlier in in the in the the playoffs. But not the same player. Uh, the real curiosity is uh, can Giannis come back for the finals? We'll talk about the finals, and if he can't, can the others supporting cast in Milwaukee continue to step up like they have and like they did in this series? I mean, Middleton. Even if he, he saved the uh, he saved the earlier game too, so he really was the savior in three of their wins. And I would also say that honestly, uh, the Bucks in terms of defensive matchups probably match up or, or defensive matchups for the opposing team probably match up a little bit easier with the Suns. Um, maybe maybe Jay Crowder can be just annoying enough to uh, to get Chris Middleton off his game, but overall there are still some. Uh, some good matchups, I think. I think that Middleton and Holiday, I mean, Devin Booker's a good defender, but I, I think that Drew Holiday could take him one-on-one pretty pretty well, and also Drew Holiday, really great defender, uh, could probably 
play pretty well on defense against Devin Booker, and that's probably going to be one of the keys to the series. So, in the end, the Giannis, not having Giannis might, obviously, he's a, he's a two-time MVP and a defensive player of the year, so obviously it's going to make an impact, but I would argue that this Sun, that playing against the Suns, uh, it makes less of an impact than it would have playing against Atlanta. Well, speaking of those Suns, let's uh, take a look at the Western Conference Finals. In the Western Conference Finals, we had Phoenix winning in six games. Uh, of course, we actually covered all the way till Game 4 on the last podcast because this series was much ahead of schedule compared to uh, the Bucks and the Hawks. So it, we pick up in Game 5 where the Clippers win on the road 116-102. to 102. Paul George scores 41 points on 75% shooting, also adds 13 rebounds and 6 assists for what was probably his best performance of the entire postseason, at least in my opinion it was. Uh, Marcus Morris scores 22, Reggie Jackson scores 23, and even Boogie Cousins scores 15. So pretty much everyone played a good game for the Clippers. Uh, And even Devin Booker dropping 31, again getting above 20 points for the first time since really the beginning of that series, as I had mentioned on a prior podcast. Uh, And Chris Paul scoring 22 with 8 assists. It wasn't nearly enough for the Suns to be able to beat the Clippers in this game, uh, even at home with a chance to close out the series. Uh, It just felt like LA came out with a lot more energy, and as the game went on, the Suns were kind of able to match it, but the start that LA got off to pretty much just propelled them way too far into the lead, and then Paul George being that efficient to score 41 points. It's very hard to beat a team where someone scores 40 on 75% shooting, regardless of who it is and regardless of what the rest of the team does, because it's just too efficient. Um, And then in game six, we have Phoenix winning 130 to 103. Chris Paul absolutely took this game over on his old home court at the Staples Center uh, where the Clippers play. He tied his playoff career high of 41 points with 31 of them coming in the second half. Uh, Devin Booker scores 22, Aiton adds 16 points with tw- with 17 rebounds, and Jay Crowder even adds 19 points to seal the deal for the Suns and win this series over the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, obviously, the big takeaway of the series is, well, the Clippers really wish they could have had Kawhi Leonard to defend somebody. Um, also, to, you know, score a lot of points, which is something that Kawhi has done, at least in his playoff career, at a very, very high level. Uh, he turns into an elite scorer in the playoffs every single time he's he's there. But obviously not having him, the Clippers just felt like they didn't really have enough to stay in, in the game with Phoenix. As soon as Phoenix scored more than 105, 110, none of these games were close. Um, other than the ones where Phoenix barely scored above 100. Yeah, a valiant effort by the Clippers to get this far without their best player. Um, Kawhi Leonard, obviously. Uh, story of the playoffs, I think, so far is the big injuries to the big players impacting series in a big way. Uh, and yeah, of course, look, Phoenix still played a great series, uh, and I think they're putting themselves in a really good position before the finals. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But I think just overall, it's something to note that Phoenix really played just so well throughout the entire, pretty much through both of the, all of the three rounds so far. Uh, and in no matter how injured their opponent was, no matter how injured they were, look, you said injuries were the story of it. Chris Paul was out for the beginning of of every series except for the series against the Nuggets, which they swept, which just goes to show you maybe if he wasn't injured, they would have dealt with the other teams a little quicker too. Obviously, the Lakers themselves got injured too, so let's not put that away. But look, 
every team they played was someone injured and they were able to stay healthier. Uh, and even with Chris Paul out, were able to manage better than their opponents were while they were injured. So look, that's the reason they really won these series is that they were able to pull out uh, anybody off the bench to make sure that they played better. Campaign obviously played a big role without Chris Paul playing a few times. Uh, and look, they won the series in six games. And if you had told me that Chris Paul would miss the first two games of the series and this and the Phoenix would win in six, I would be very surprised. So overall, a great performance by Phoenix to make it to the finals. Yep. And so speaking of the NBA finals, we've got the Bucks versus the Suns. Let's transition over and take a look at the NBA finals, which are kicking off tomorrow night. Patrick, who are you picking? Well, I'm going to put a few caveats on this, and I'm sure, and I'll let you do the same for your predictions for this, too. Um, if Giannis is healthy, I will take the Bucks in seven. I truly believe that the Bucks uh, just have a little bit more than the Suns do, and just enough to squeak by them, though I think this is going to be a really good finals. Uh, and look, we get to see some teams that we don't that we don't normally see in the finals, and that probably before the year we weren't expecting to see other than the Bucks, obviously, although... I would say before the season, a lot of people were talking about the Nets uh, and also the 76ers after underperforming so badly last year, and both of them end up performing and getting higher seeds than the than the Bucks do, but in the end, doesn't matter because the Bucks are the ones here. Uh, obviously, they beat the Hawks to get here. Maybe not the team that you expected them to play there either. Uh, I would argue that their semifinals matchup was a lot harder uh, against the Nets. But in the end, doesn't matter. The Bucks are here. And look, I like what they have, and I am going to pick the Bucks in seven if Giannis is healthy and plays every game of this series. Although I will say I'm not, I'm not, if he gets injured later in the series, that's a different conversation. But I'm saying at least from the start of the series, uh, if he is healthy, the Bucks in seven. If he misses one game, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to say that the Suns start off, they win that first game. And because they win that first game instead of the Bucks winning it, I think that they set the tone, and they win the series in seven instead. Uh, if Giannis misses two or more games, I will say Suns in six. So on the basis that he is healthy, because let's just assume for the best, and look, we made this mistake with Joel Embiid earlier. Players love to play in, in playoff series. They won't miss it if they if they don't have to. So on the basis that he's healthy, I'll say Bucks in seven. Well, I think that his health is critical to the series. I agree with you. If he misses any games, it's going to be the Suns uh, in less than seven. Uh, I think even if he plays, he's not 100% healthy, and I think the Suns win in seven. Worst case scenario. So congratulations to your NBA champion, Milwaukee Bucks, because my predictions are terrible. Uh, well, that's not, that, don't sell yourself short like that. But I mean, yes, I will say that we do have a history of jinxing teams here, uh, especially especially if it's a well more more so with bad teams than with good teams. So one thing that I know is I will be happy either way because a well deserving star, either a rising upcoming or or you know newly established next generation star, Giannis will get their first NBA title. Or I always love it. When a veteran who's been in the game forever and had a lot of individual success but has fallen short in the playoffs, whether that was Ray Bork with the Boston Bruins or some other Major League Baseball player who I can't think of right now who got one Clayton of his, Kershaw. Well, Kershaw for the Dodgers, but there was a, another guy several years who was actually on a rival team, and, and I was just happy for him. I can't remember who it is. But someone like Chris Paul, um, long-established you know, career with all the individual accolades and never gotten it done, 
finally gets her first championship. Yeah, you never want to be the best player who never won a title. Uh, And Chris Paul was that until... You don't want to be Charles Barkley. Right. And he was, frankly, he wasn't even the, he wasn't the best player who had never won a title. He was the best player who had never made a title easily uh, up until this year. And look, by the way, let's get Carmelo on the Lakers and let's get him a title too next year. Uh, That's a different, that's a different story, but we'll see what can happen there. Uh, But yeah, I agree with you. I'd be very happy for either of these teams winning. Also just because, okay, look, the Lakers and the Celtics have what? 35 of the NBA championships of all time. Let's just let some other teams get it. And I'm happy that a super team didn't end up winning it because, frankly, we have a lot of them. And when they don't win, I think it's honestly better for the league because it makes a lot more teams better. And instead of having a situation where, I mean, look at what the Thunder did. They, one star wants out and they realize, okay, we have to blow up the whole franchise because the rest of the league is too good. Maybe next, maybe next time around this team is in a similar position and they say, let's keep our Russell Westbrook. Let's keep our Devin Booker. Let's keep this core together. And maybe we can bring something together. But look. It's got to be the non-super teams winning for those teams to have that belief. So I'm very happy that one of these teams will be winning. Although maybe you could make the argument that the Bucks would be considered a super team in nah. a different year. Yeah, I don't think so. Don't well, think you add player. you add you add all-star level players to an MVP to an MVP player. It, it, it's questionable, but I I don't think in this era they're considered a super team now. Correct. All right. Yeah. Well, I mentioned uh, baseball and something I couldn't remember. Something I can remember is that the MLB All-Star Game is coming up. So let's take a look at those rosters, discuss which pitchers we believe should have been picked for the MLB All-Star Game, and talk about possible snubs from the game overall. All right, so in the NL we have, uh, well, this we're going to skip over the starters because they were announced a long, long time ago. Uh, and if you don't know who the starters are, well, you probably wouldn't be, you probably wouldn't be listening to this episode uh, or this part of the episode. So in the NL for the reserves, as they're calling it, obviously just the, the non-starting part of the roster, uh, we have JT Real Muto at catcher, Ozzy Albies as a second baseman, Chris Bryant listed as a utility player, Brandon Crawford at shortstop, Jake Cronenworth at second base, although he could be a utility player himself, uh, Eduardo Escobar at third, Max Muncy listed as a utility player, Trey Turner as a shortstop, Mookie Betts as an outfielder, Brian Reynolds as an outfielder, Kyle Schwarber as an outfielder, and Juan Soto as an outfielder too. And then you also have Chris Taylor, uh, not necessarily the final player, but... Uh, yeah, listed as a utility player. So that's who you got for the reserves in the NL. Now let's move on to the pitching staff. You have, by the way, both pitching staffs featured a lot more starters than we initially thought. So uh, I guess we're I guess we're lucky that we didn't predict it on the last podcast because our rosters would have looked a lot different um, than these ones ended up. So here we go anyway. Uh, the most obvious all-star of all time, Jacob deGrom, having pretty much one of the best pitching seasons of all time, if not the greatest so, no-brainer pick right there. So, you got Jacob DeGrom, you got Kevin Gosman, who's leading the San Francisco staff that's leading the best team in baseball, and frankly, the reason why that team is so successful. Uh, then you got Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, both from Milwaukee. You got you Darvish, you have, and then moving on to some relievers, you have Craig Kimbrell, Josh Hader, and Mark Melanson. Going back to uh, three starters, you have Armand Marquez, Trevor Rogers, Zach Wheeler, and rounding out the roster, you have Alex Reyes from the St. Louis Cardinals. So, actually, overall, the NL ends up only sending four relievers in the entire league uh, to the to the All-Star game, which I have my, I have some thoughts about that. But um, I would say, overall, if we're going by pitching staff, my pitching staff would be Jacob DeGrom, Kevin Gosman. Uh, I would have Freddie Peralta instead of Corbin Burns. 
there needs to be two guys from Milwaukee there, but Peralta has pitched more games and has a better ERA and has more strikeouts. So pretty much every advantage that you can possibly have. And for that reason, I would pick Peralta over Burns. Uh, I would stick with Woodruff. Uh, then I would put in Max Scherzer over you Darvish because he's just been a lot better than Darvish has been. Uh, and frankly, Washington should not have three players uh, from the from the field. They should have at least a pitcher uh, and maybe one position player. I don't know about the rest of them. But that's another discussion. I'll get to that later on. Uh, I would keep Craig Kimbrell. I would keep Josh Hader. I would put Kenley Jansen in as the closer from the NL West as opposed to Mark Melanson, who has an upwards of two ERA, even though there are, I believe, 10 relievers with sub two ERAs in the NL, and again, they only picked four of them, and Melanson wasn't one of them, so that doesn't really make much sense. Uh, Armand Marquez, you can't take out because of the minimum for a team. Uh, same thing for Trevor Rogers, and almost the same thing for Zach Wheeler, although I believe he deserves to stay there anyway, and also I will keep Alex Reyes too, although I'm not sure, he actually might be part of the minimum too for St. Louis. I forget if they ended up with a starter. I believe they did, though. I believe Arenado ended up starting. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, but that's who I would have on my pitching staff. And then for the snub, Justin Turner should be here instead of anybody from Washington that's not named Kyle Schwarber. And probably eventually he'll get in as a sub for Kyle Schwarber, ironically enough. Um, but look, Washington should not have as many All-Stars as the Dodgers. Uh, it, it makes no sense. There is no reason for a sub-500 third-place team to, be, to have more All-Stars than the second-best team in baseball. Uh, not to mention the fact, look, guys, it's not 2019 anymore. These are not the teams who played each other in the NLDS and then Washington ended up winning the World Series. It's not that year anymore. It's 2021. Um, I also don't know why Atlanta has the same amount of All-Stars as LA in the same weak division, still not in first. So look, it doesn't make much sense to me. Um, and I also frankly don't know why Pittsburgh has two All-Stars, but I'm a, I'm a little, I'm, I'm okay with that because Adam Frazier is overall one of the better players in the NL and almost and was leading the league in average for a lot of the season. And Brian Reynolds is really the guy who has all the numbers for, for the Pirates and has better numbers than a lot of the other guys in the All-Star game. So I'm okay with those two reps, but either Trey Turner or Juan Soto has got to go in favor of Justin Turner. So I'll go back to pitching. Um, and you mentioned a few Dodgers pitchers and the lack of Dodgers All-Stars. I mean, three Dodgers position players Maybe seems right to me. I'll get to the, my snub in the pitching and in the non-pitching category. Um, this is the first year since 2008 that no Dodgers pitcher has made the All-Star game, and it should, and ironically, it's the best staff yeah, that Dodgers have had have ever. Happened. It's a joke that none of Kershaw, none uh, Bueller, Jansen. I won't even throw Urias out there, but he could make it. It's a joke that none well, of them uh, are Urias has a 3.81 ERA, and Kershaw has a 3.39. All these other guys in the NL have two, but. There are three guys on the staff with two ERAs or lower, and none of them made it. Yeah, so, so I agree with you. So you took the words out of my mouth. Um, Scherzer versus Darvish. Scherzer should be a starter ahead of Darvish, period. Um, and I think that there should have been room on the staff for one Dodger pitcher. If not Walker Bueller, then Kenley Jansen deserves to be on the staff. I also think if you want to, I, I did say that Milwaukee deserves two of their staff, um, two of their top three to be there. But if it's at the expense of one Dodgers pitcher, which is arguably the best staff in baseball, and look, the NL West is stacked with pitchers. Uh, the Brewers alone should not have more pitchers than the NL West entirely. So if it's at the expense of a Dodgers pitcher or another NL West pitcher, I don't agree with it. So I agree with you there. Yeah, and we'll talk about this when we get to the American League. It just speaks to the to the to really the depth of the starting pitching in the National League. You've probably got five guys 
who are not who are National League starters that would easily be on the American League staff. They're way better than some. Way of the, better than. Way better I would than argue that the people who didn't make it from the NL are probably as good as the people who did for the AL. But you, you could make you could we'll move, we'll get there in a little bit, but I would say that you can make a staff of eight more starting pitchers that are better than Nathan Eovaldi. No shade towards him, but yeah. So as we go as we go to snub, so that's the starting pitchers, uh, the, the the pitchers discussion. As we go to the the snubs, the two biggest missing names in the National League from the All Star team are Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. These were the two huge mega free agent, three hundred million plus contract signings before the two thousand nineteen season, and neither of them has made an All Star game. Granted, there wasn't one last year, but still, so they're zero for two in All Star games since signing their uh, their big contracts. Now part of what happened was, you know, the, the fans voted in certain players, and then the players voted in, and then the commissioner's office apparently named Juan Soto and Chris Taylor, so they got both got in over Harper, but I, I think that's the right decision, so I got no issues there. Machado, who had a couple big games after the selections were made, um, Aaron Otto was the starter by the fans, and then the players voted in Chris Bryant, and then the commissioner didn't put in Machado or Justin Turner because they had to, apparently had to select somebody from the Diamondbacks, um, so that so was they ended up with Eduardo Escobar. Eduardo Escobar. Yeah. So Eduardo Escobar makes it over Turner um, and over Machado. Obviously, Machado and Turner both have better numbers than uh, Escobar, but Escobar had to be there because the Diamondbacks needed. Well, actually, I would say when they probably submitted the team, I don't think Machado had better numbers than Escobar because Machado Why really not? heated up with like what said, three yes. home runs in the last two yeah, games yeah, or something. He so had, he had a two home runs and five RBIs on Sunday alone. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my point is, Justin Turner was the snub. The good news is, I think that there's two players from the Nationals that aren't going to play in the game. Trey Turner's been hurt. Well, Trey and Turner's not on the IL, though, but Schwarber, Schwarber will be out. Schwarber out. will definitely so, be out. So it, that'll rectify a lot of the, what we've talked about, both in terms of how many people Washington has, etc. But Schwarber's out. Uh, I think Turner. I th- think Turner's going to make it, um, especially. Maybe they'll just trade one Turner for another Trey Turner, and then uh, you'll get Machado instead of Schwarber. Uh, but I think that will rectify it. So that is Justin Turner is my snub. Uh, the biggest snub, not only the National League, but my snub uh, overall for both both leagues. And also, when you think about it, the three quote-unquote utility players, Max Muncy doesn't play the outfield, but Chris Taylor and Chris Bryant can both play the outfield. So if you count them as outfielders instead of infielders, you end up with six outfielders. That's more than enough. So they can definitely replace one of them uh, with the third baseman. So if, well, not if, Schwarber will be out. Uh, they, they said his injury is very severe. Um when Schwarber's out, whoever replaces him should. It doesn't need to be another outfielder. I would right. really hate them, hate for them to put in another outfielder. Maybe it is Bryce Harper that they end up putting in instead. Yeah, um, it could be Machado and Turner for get filled the, or those. Top and and I really hope that it would be Machado or Turner, and they don't go very strict about the positions, especially because look, uh, two of those utility guys that were what, two of the utility guys that we're talking about. They're managed by Dave Roberts, and Dave Roberts is the manager of the NL. I'm pretty sure he can deal with moving Max Muncy and Chris Taylor around. He's done it all season in real games. He can definitely do it in the All-Star game. All right, well, I mentioned in my discussion of the NL a little, a little, uh, little details on the American League. Why don't we move over to the American League? In the American League, we have, uh, for the pitchers, we have Garrett Cole, Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, Shane Bieber, Shohei Otani, Aroldis Chapman, Liam Hendricks, Matt Barnes, Nathan Eovaldi, again, no shade to him, but we'll talk about him later, um, Kyle Gibson, Yusei Kikuchi, Ryan Presley, uh, and Gregory Soto. And then for the reserves, we have Mike Zunino at catcher, Jose Altuve, Bo Bichette, Carlos Correa, Matt Olson, Jose Ramirez, Jared Walsh, Michael Brantley, Joey Gallo, Adelise Garcia, Cedric Mullins, Nelson Cruz, and J.D. Martinez. 
Uh, overall, I would say I'm okay with this pitching staff, but I would make a few tweaks. I'd keep Cole, Lynn, Rodon, and Bieber, but I would put in Aaron Savale instead of Ota- instead of Otani because I don't think he needs to take up two roster spots, especially with a 3.6 ERA on the year. I get it. He throws 100, whatever. People might be afraid of him, but in the end, his stats are not better than a lot of the other pitchers, and when you look at it, Shane Bieber and Aaron Savali are are separated by .04 in ERA. So I don't know how you get one guy, but you don't get the other guy. And Savali also has more wins, and Bieber's injured. So ironically enough, Savali might replace Bieber in the end. Um, it, regardless of that, uh, I'm I like Chapman because other than the five runs that he gave up on Sunday, uh, the votes obviously came in before that. Uh, so excluding that game, he's been pretty good. Um, although he slipped up a little bit recently. Uh, Liam Hendricks I like, Matt Barnes I like. Instead of Nathan Eovaldi, let's get another A's player in here because there are two players from the, there are three players from the Rangers and yet only one from the A's, even though the Rangers are in dead last of that division and probably almost 20 games back of the A's who are in second of that division. And it's one of the best divisions in baseball. Uh, Houston's got a lot of players themselves. So why not? Let's put in Chris Bassett instead as a pitcher instead of Nathan Eovaldi. Got a much better ERA and you end up getting an Oakland A's representative uh, I like the Gibson pick. Uh, I thought he might be the only one who ends up making it from Texas because he was really a no-brainer, especially for a bad team to have a sub-2 ERA. He's really been carrying that pitching staff. You say Kikuchi, you can't replace because he's on Seattle. Ryan Presley is fine. I would take Jose Cisnero instead of Gregory Soto. I'm just going to replace him one-for-one one with his own teammate. Okay, well, I mean, for me, the American League really darnity snubs because, A, the starting pitching depth in the in the American League sucks. Um <laughs> No, their pitching sucks. Well, they and they, they somehow, wrong. but they somehow still managed to get guys with three point five plus ERAs instead of guys with lower ones still, because there were some out there. Uh, their starting pitching sucks. <laughs> All right, and Tyler Glasnow, uh, part of it is he's, he's hurt, so that opened up a spot. So maybe somebody you'd argue was a, with a, was a snub made the team. Like you said, Otani's there as a pitcher, but also a hitter. Uh, Mike and he Trout, does not need to be. Mike Trout is hurt. Bieber's hurt, so that opens up slots. So it's like all the guys that could have gotten snubbed, I think either are hurt or they, they made the team. Um, I mean, even Araldus Chapman, who I know his stats are inflated by his disastrous outing that we talked about against the Mets, but the dude has a 4.71 ERA, and he's an, he's an all-star Again, you got you got to take out you got to take out that the runs from yesterday I'm because that saying, was he had an infinity ERA yesterday. <laughs> but it gets added to a season total. I mean, it's five freaking runs. Anyway, yeah. I, I I think there's nobody worthy of a snub here. I think that the the National League should player the National League should give the American League some players to make this game <laughs> fair. Um, I I don't again it's because there were so many open open slots like you you said you Kukichi and the and the Tigers Gregory Soto those are marginal players, but they had each team needs a representative and a Nathan Avaldi, Nathan Avaldi. <sighs> yeah, they they again. I, I think they. I should. gotta watch Nathan Avaldi pitch in an All Star game. I don't I think you're see, gonna watch him. I, I don't think he's gonna be pitching. Or something. Well, you and have thir- Kershaw's not there. Hey, and you you not have there, you have thir- you have thirteen pitchers. Maybe Max Scherzer could get pr- traded back to the Tigers for a year. So he could, <laughs> he could at least pitch. It's it's a, it is a joke. Now watch the American League will go out and shell the National League's uh, starting staff after I say all this. But well, I mean, there's but, nobody crying. There's nobody with a legitimate beef in the American League that they didn't make the All Star team. But I, I will say that if you look at the AL's lineup, I don't think that would be anything about the National League's pitching. Uh, that lineup is just ridiculous, and maybe that's why the, the ERAs are so bad Could be. in the AL because 
everybody's got to play Vladdy. Everybody's got to play Bichette. Everybody's got to play Altuve, Correa, and Brantley. And Jordan Alvarez, who didn't even make it. Everybody's got to play J.D. Martinez, Nelson Cruz. I mean, there are so many good hitters in the AL. Uh, look, the Angels aren't even good. And they got Shohei Otani, Jared Walsh, and Mike Trout, and Anthony Rendon, who's underperforming. But look, every single lineup in the AL feels like it's dangerous, except for the bad teams like the like the Mariners. Um, I, I would say one snub, though. Alex Verdugo or Randall Grichuk needs to be here instead of Joey Gallo. Just because, look, the Rangers... I talked about it in the NL. The Rangers should not have as many players in the All-Star game as the Los Angeles Dodgers or as the San Francisco Giants. And they shouldn't be anywhere near the Red Sox, who are the AL leaders currently with the best record there. Um, Adelise Garcia is more than deserving of an All-Star appearance, uh, and he really, really deserves it. But their outfield is not the best outfield in baseball, and he doesn't need... Gaio doesn't need to be in it. Um, He's got a lot of home runs. He's got a decent amount of RBIs. But look... Garcia has more, and Garcia doesn't strike out literally every single time he's at bat and doesn't hit a home run. Um, So I would pick Verdugo or Grichuk just because, look, better teams, and also just get an outfield representative from, pretty. I mean, if you look at it, all the outfield representatives except for Michael Brantley are from losing record teams, which is kind of ironic, uh, on the reserves. So I think you could do a lot better, and I would end up with Verdugo or Grichuk instead. Uh, Again, three Rangers is too many in the same way that two Pirates is almost, if I say two Pirates is almost too many, Three Rangers is definitely too many. Agreed. And that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, July 9th, where we will have a look back at the week's action of Major League Baseball, and we'll have some more random, assorted, important news in the world of sports. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games and his MLB Power Rankings updates, which are posted on Saturdays on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24, dot com. Thank you for listening.